Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. All right, well, Coast Vineyard, we've got another treat for you today. We've got uh, Dr. Stephen Burnhope, it's, uh, or Steve, if you like, so is uh, going to be with us. We're going to be uh, having a conversation, and but uh, I'd love to introduce Steve to you. Steve is... Uh, He's an interesting mix. He is a pastor. He has uh, worked uh, in a, successfully in the uh, financial and business community and is, uh, is also a theologian, so he's uh, a man of many talents. But Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit more ab- about yourself and uh, just so that Coast Vineyard Church can get to you. And I didn't actually say where you are from, so that's, uh, I'll leave that with you. To they'll, they'll catch the general vicinity once you start talking and find that you've got a bit of an accent there. So uh, why don't you, why don't you uh, let us know um, some more about you? Thanks, Matt. It's lovely to be with you and with the church. Um, thanks so much for giving the time to do this. Um, so I became a Christian when I was uh, 16, quite a few years ago now. Um, met my wife uh, when we were both teenagers in church context and uh, we got married quite young. We uh, have four children and three grandchildren. And uh, I spent most of my first few uh, decades of working life in the city of London in the insurance industry. Um, And towards the end of uh, my career in the city, I started getting interested in theology largely because uh, Lynn uh, was doing a, firstly she did a BA in theology and then a a master's and I kind of got interested. There was no competition thing between us, definitely not, but I did start reading some of the books that she had and um, got really interested because there was so much that um, in kind of everyday Christianity that didn't make sense to me. I had so many questions and I kind of felt that the answers were out there but they were in the academic world and there was a bit of a gulf between the academic world and the, and the sort of church world, um, which, which is still something that, that has, has concerned me. And, and actually is one of the reasons why I do what I do at the moment. I want to bring that academic world stuff into church world to make it kind of real and, and, and relevant. So, yeah, as so you indicated, uh, yeah, latterly in life, really, I did, a master's in biblical interpretation and then i did a, a phd in systematic theology and uh, that brings us to where we are now and of course some pastoring which we retired from uh, last year we pastored Ellsbury vineyard in the uk and retired towards the end of last year from that yes so and it was it was it a decade at Aylesbury vineyard or was it uh I'd... just short yeah just short of a decade yeah yeah and just Coast Vineyard, just so, uh, which may give context, like when, when Steve took over leading that church, it was a certain size by the time he'd finished. I think it was about three times the, the size. There's something very attractive about uh, Steve's leadership and, and teaching and Lynn, his wife, and uh, the way he um, led that church. It sounded like the sort of church I'd, I'd go to if I was anywhere um, in, the, uh, in the vicinity. So, um, so um, so today, what, uh, 
I thought would be great to well to talk about while we're uh, while we're here is this this beauty here is uh, how to read the Bible well by Dr. Stephen Burnhope. So, um, written the book. It's uh, and when I when I got the book, I was because we were friends. I I was looking forward to to reading it. But as I as I got into it, I'm like, this is a great book this is uh how to read the bible well um you know many people could say well there's lots of books out there about about that um do we really need another one i'm reading it and thinking like this is this is a book that is is needed i've been telling a lot of my pastor friends like uh you know grab a hold of this book this is this is really really helpful especially in uh in today's context where uh you know the Post postmodern thinking, a lot of people are saying that like there is uh, there is no absolute truth. There is uh, how can you uh, embrace um, a, a, a meta narrative when that's just that's fine for you, but how you can't say that's fine for me. They're, all of these things that uh, people had. Um, felt was their f- solid foundation around the Bible is uh, feels a little a little crumbly and so I think this is a book that is just so helpful for um, for today but like obviously uh, writing a book you don't just um, uh, turn off Netflix for a couple of nights and, and knock a knock a book out um, something that has to be very very intentional and and, and a real um, sense of uh, this is needed so t- tell me why why you did write the book well, the, the genesis of it, uh, funnily enough, was some talks, some sermon series that I did. I would, I would tend once a term to do like three talks as, as a set. Um, and I used to call them uh, the big questions, the big questions about uh, faith, the Bible and, and so forth. And those were always, certainly in our church, those, those were always the most popular talks, uh, even though really what they were was, uh, was teaching you know, more so than preaching. They were they were um, really what we call in the trade hermeneutics. In other words, how you interpret the Bible, how you think about understanding the Bible. And I thought it'd be great to actually rewrite some of these talks and put them into a, a book format. And so that, that was really the start of it. Um, because as I alluded to earlier, my passion has always been to try to bring um, good theological thinking into church context for ordinary thinking Christians um, and to make it make sense for them and make it applicable for them not just some kind of you know theoretical exercise because you know a lot of Christians um, look at the word theology or the word interpretation with some trepidation um, because it sounds kind of intimidating and as if it really is some sort of optional extra for the nerdy ones you know whereas actually the reality is we all have theology we all have thoughts that we express in words about God, and we all do biblical interpretation. Every time we open the Bible, we are interpreting it, whether we realize it or not. So the only question, uh, it, the question is not whether we have theology or whether we do biblical interpretation. The question is whether we're doing it well or not. And uh, you know, my passion is to help ordinary Christians, people who think about their faith and want to understand it better, to be doing those things better than, than perhaps they have in the past. So um, it, it'd be great to, to, to get into uh, uh, 
some of the things that I believe will be really, really helpful for um, for those that are that are listening. Uh, and I guess a question is that some people say, "Ah, oh, the Bible is uh, it's it's like a manual for how to do life, and you just have to read the manual and do what it says, and then life will um, go well." Or they'll say it's are those parts you don't have to worry about those parts uh, this is the only bit here that you have to read so tell me tell me a little bit about what you would say to some of those questions how you would uh, encourage people to uh, read the Bible and, and 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 engage with the Bible and, and what the Bible can be for mm. them mm. well I guess it starts with uh, how we conceive what the Bible is in the first place and that's where we get those kind of phrases uh, coming from. You know, another phrase that people often use is uh, the, the Bible is God's instruction manual right. for life. And uh, I'm having a conversation with people about that. I say, that that's great. Um, can you show me where the instructions are, please? Yeah. And of course, that ends the conversation because nobody can. Well, they can say, well, here's one or here's one. But but it doesn't, the Bible doesn't work as a coherent narrative in that way for example we have old testament new testament and people find it very difficult to figure out to what extent the old testament is relevant to their new testament centered faith so a lot of christians just ignore the old testament completely even though it's the majority part of the christian canon so to begin with we've got to understand how those two fit together but i think um maybe more fundamentally the the challenge that we have is uh, with that phrase the word of god mm. we say the bible is the word of god and then we uh, evangelicals will often add on uh, other words to that like the inerrant word of god or the infallible word of god or the inspired word of god and that gives rise to all sorts of challenges in terms of well, what does that all mean so what does the of god bit add to the word because we know for example that um the bible was written by humans the actual writing was by humans yep. so how do we think that it got from god to us through those humans uh, yep. for example a lot of christians will um i guess assume or maybe maybe not even think about it but if you were to, to press them on it probably they would say well uh, god somehow sort of dictated it you know, like an old-fashioned boss and and a secretary. You know, take this yes. down, Miss Jones. You know, yes. and, and um, which actually no scholar believes. So the question is: To what extent does did hearing from God for them um, reflect hearing from God for us? Is one one question. Mm. So it's one thing to believe that this this document that we have, that actually set of documents, is. Uh, divinely inspired but we know that 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 people had a role in its production as well as god mm. and one of the things we need to to get a feel for is how the fact that it's a um the word of people uh, fits in with it being the word of god as well mm. without devaluing it or diminishing it and without it losing its status mm. as a divinely inspired uh document that we should hold in great reverence Mm. Because I guess uh, when we read the very earliest uh, from the Old Testament, uh, they 
the the in that time the understanding of the world was uh, was so limited. Um, so the um, so I guess God would had to speak to them in a way that actually they could grab a hold of and make uh, make some kind of sense of. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, uh, one of the, um, there's a thing called communication theory, uh, which you may have come across, we talk a bit about it in the book, uh, which says essentially, if we are to communicate, we have to have uh, a set of shared assumptions within which we can't uh, otherwise communicate. So for example, if I start talking about lockdown, mm. or I start talking about uh, masks, or any other uh, social distancing, any of the stuff that you know we know what we're talking about right and everyone listening uh, to us now will know what we're talking about well five years ago we wouldn't know what we were talking about mm. maybe 500 years in the future no one will know what we're talking about either but mm. um there has to be a certain uh, shed of set of shared vocabulary and shared ideas and we call all of that framework for communication a worldview so the biblical writers shared the ancient world worldview we today have a combination of the modern worldview which is in modernity post enlightenment from about the last three four hundred years ago to now and we also have post modernity we have this overlapping of worldviews depending on what part of the world you're in and what generation you are and so on so we we have to think about um, in the first instance understanding how the Bible would have been understood within the worldview of the writers, because God could not communicate things effectively to people two, three, four thousand years ago uh, in words and ideas that would make sense today. Mm. He had to work within their culture and their context mm. and their set of obviouses about life. Mm. So our starting point for understanding the Bible is what did it mean to them then? And then we have to say, okay, that was then, but this is now. And how do we work with the divinely inspired uh, sense of Scripture, uh, taking it from its cultural context then into now? And that requires an act of, of translation, which mm. is not as easy as it might seem. You gave one mm. example where Paul, um, in one of the letters, um, and you can remember where um, where this was. Where he he talks about uh, he's talking to one of the churches about you know how they should be um, uh, be uh, being a little bit more um, respectful, I guess, in their church services. Um, and says like and it says at one stage it's obvious that this has to happen. Was that what was that about hair length or was that about women speaking in church or like what, can you remember that example? Yeah, probably he, both. Yeah, probably and, both. And but yeah. Paul actually says like it's it's obvious that this is mm. um, this is the way it should be, and I'm like thinking like that, that's that's very not obvious if we uh, if we try and apply that into in today's culture. Um, so yes, yeah, a lot. A let lot me say a word about yeah. Let me say a word about that, the word obvious there, um, because uh, when we use the word obvious, that's our worldview speaking. Okay, so I'll give you an example. Um, we think that democracy is obviously the best form of government. Now, that obvious would not have been obvious in the biblical period. Mm. I mean, it just it just 
was not the way that they did things for the most part. Um, so uh, when we think about, when we read the Bible, if we read it with that kind of an obvious in mind, we're going to misunderstand what's being said there. The other problem we, we have is that because we think of and, and often use the word um, timeless to describe the Bible, we get a bit confused when it comes to what was time bound then in, for example, Paul saying it's obvious that men shouldn't have long hair um, and or obvious that women shouldn't speak in church or something like that. Um, how do we deal with the fact that those obviouses are not our obviouses? Mm. Because if it's timeless, you would think, well, we've got to change our obvious to, to Paul's obvious. So we're, we're trying to figure out the extent to which um, what the Bible says is bound by the obvious of their time and to what extent there is a timeless truth within it that, that carries forward. And again, that's not entirely straightforward. And one of the problems that people have with the Bible is when they think, well, that's ridiculous, you know, that, that women shouldn't be allowed to speak in church, for example, which is the way that what Paul's saying there is, is often read. Um, so therefore, we reject that as being irrelevant. And so what else in the Bible is also to be rejected as irrelevant? We don't deal very well with understanding the cultural context within which the Bible was being written and, and experienced. Steve, just one of the things that you said uh, as we were you know, talking earlier, you talked about how uh, the Bible is, is the Word of God, which uh, many um, people, many Christians, would that would be the description of it. But you also say it's, but it's also the words of people. It was written by um, by people. And this is one of those things where if we can understand this a little bit better, that will be quite helpful for us. So so tell us more. Tell us more about is it is it the word of God or is it the word of people, Steve? Come on, we want the answers. Okay, well, the answer is yes. Ah. The answer is that, it, that it's both. And but I think the, the interesting thing is that, um, uh, let's take an example, the fact that Jesus left us nothing that he had written in the way that his brother James did, or yeah. the Apostle Peter did, or the Apostle Paul did. So one has to say, well, why is that? He could just as easily have written something, or uh, assuming Jesus um, couldn't perhaps read or write, which was the most common thing, very few people could read or write in, in those days. So um, he could have used a scribe, which was a, a common way of doing it and, and dictated something. And then we would have had a very literal word of God. We would have had, you know, the gospel according to Jesus. And we might not need have needed to bother with the rest. But for some reason, God decided that um, everything that he delivered to us as scripture would come through the recollections, memories, and um through the pens of people that that in itself is quite interesting the other uh factor is that uh it was a firstly a communication to people at that particular time speaking about things that would have been relevant to people at that time even where we're talking about prophecy or some of the more uh, difficult uh, uh literature such as the apocalyptic stuff uh, a bit of daniel and revelation uh, even pronouncing the word is a problem let alone understanding it as a as a type of literature but 
um, it, it all had a relevance to people at the time, because if it didn't have a relevance to people at the time, then it would never have been preserved as being inspired in some way. Mm. Talking of inspired, um, when we think about what the Bible is as the word of God, we the first thing we notice is that the Bible says virtually nothing about itself in terms of its nature. The main thing that we read in the New Testament in Timothy is that the uh, scripture is inspired by God. The word inspired means literally breathed by God or breathed out by God or even breathed into by God. So we see a God-breathed element to it, inspiration, breathing into, um, and we still have to figure out, well, what does that actually then mean in practice? It certainly distinguishes it from non-inspired writings, but it doesn't in itself tell us how the of God bit uh, relates to things. And we're going back to, to your uh, question there about the, um, uh, the sort of uh, God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament, if you like. I think yeah. there, cut a long story short, I think we have to understand that through the story of scripture we see a developing understanding of who god is and what god is like and we see people getting that right at times and we see people getting that wrong at times and i think the way we are to engage with the narratives particularly in the old testament um but also to a large extent in the new as well is to um engage with them in the sense of just trying to understand how they were seeing things and why asking questions of the text rather than just taking it as if it was a, a textbook, you know, in, in a school or college scenario, uh, but challenging it, engaging with it and so on. And that process of development of understanding what God is like comes to its zenith and its peak and its pinnacle in Jesus, whom we see as the express or the exact image of who God is and what God is like. And the critical thing there is that because God does not change, what that is showing us and telling us is that not only is God like that now, but God has always been like that. So to the extent that we saw different apparent understandings of who God is and what God is like in earlier periods, Old Testament, then those we have to, to challenge those ideas based upon what we now know God is really like in Jesus. So what would you say to, uh, how would we engage with something, one of the scriptures that says uh, God told his mm. people to go into this uh, town and to destroy everything, mm. men, women, children, animals. Mm. Uh, mm. That doesn't sound much like, Jesus, so mm. um, and yet it's in the Bible. So help us to engage with you know some of those um, things that are in our in our scriptures. Yeah, and that's a, those genocidal texts, uh, as as we yeah. call them, um, are very difficult for people, and uh, it's, it's quite hard for me to give you a couple of quick sentences that will make sense. Um, and this is not an, an advertisement for reading the book, although it is an advertisement for mm. reading the book, um, because it does require a bit of thinking through. 
So within the book, I, I talk about that. Is is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? And uh, I explain the different ways in which Christians think about those problematic texts, the different options and their strengths and weaknesses. And I, I personally think that it it's, it's kind of summed up in how we think of the nature of the text and the nature of people's engagement with God at that time. So uh, I think that, um, for example, what, one of the big things going on in the background of the Old Testament is God trying to teach his people that he, the God of Israel, the one true God, is not like the gods of the other nations, that he is not uh, like the way that people thought gods obviously were and the things that gods would obviously tell their followers to do and the way in which they would please their gods. For example, no child sacrifice. Uh, to us, that sounds sort of pretty obvious, but that was not the way that people thought in those times. People thought that that was the way you appeased the gods, that was the way you got a good harvest and a you know, a good summer for your crops and you avoided disaster and so on was by appeasing the gods. Mm. So there's a lot going on in the background there in terms of God trying to teach his people that he is not like that. But we also see instances where there are certain assumptions about what gods do and what gods want and, and so forth. Mm. And I think we're, we should be engaging with those texts by saying, no, hang on, these people there were misunderstanding what God was saying. You know, and yet for Christians to, to think that the way to engage with that text is to challenge some of the assumptions is a little bit countercultural. We're not used to that. So I can imagine, you know, one or two folks are listening to this now and thinking, oh, it doesn't make any sense. And I can understand why it might not, but I would respectfully say to them, read the book and you'll see what I mean and you'll see what the options are. As I hear what you're saying there, that the, um, the, the, the punchline, which I think a lot of people um, sometimes or often can neglect, is that the, the lens of reading the Bible should be through, um, through Jesus and the pinnacle of revelation of God and who he is and his character and his nature and uh, is is through Jesus and so I think a lot of people read um, Jesus through the lens of the Bible when we should be reading the Bible through the lens of, uh, of Jesus. Well thanks again for tuning in to today's message we hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you're keen to find out more about us as a church whānau, you're welcome to go to coast.org.nz or of course we'd love to meet you in person. We meet at 10am at Aurewa College on the beautiful Hibiscus Coast and you're more than welcome. Be blessed and have a great day.